Um, this is an exciting uh, collection of verses because it brings together three um, fundamental aspects of the gospel and of our salvation, brings them together and shows us how they relate to one another. Those aspects are grace and faith and works. Verse 10, he says, we are created for good works. And the relationship between those three, it's, it, it's the kind of thing that we struggle with all the time, experiencing the grace of God. What does, what does faith really mean? How do works fit into the salvation experience? And uh, this passage sort of brings all those together. And it does that with three prepositions, those little words. It says, by grace. We are saved by the agency of grace. If you were to uh, look at the Greek structure of that noun, uh, you'd see it's in the, what's called the instrumental case, and it means that grace is the instrument that God used to save us. So it's by grace through faith. And again, the Greek grammar of it means that faith is the, the medium through which God saves us. It's not the medium that saves us. It's the medium through which God saves us. And then we are saved for works. We are not saved by the works or through the works. We are, we are saved for the works. And that's what we'll be looking at uh, this morning, how those things relate together. Now, the reason Paul's going into this at this point is that he's going to start talking about the nature and the meaning of the body of Christ, of the church, in the very next uh, paragraph. And as he does so, he wants his audience to understand there's really only one way to become a part of the body of Christ. You see, at that time, he had basically two groups coming together that had never been together before. Uh, some of those Christians in Ephesus uh, came from a Jewish background. They had a Jewish heritage. They had the benefit of, of knowing the law and the scriptures, of having experienced the, the richness of the, of the tradition and the heritage of being God's people. And so uh, they came out of the, the Jewish tradition. And then you had Gentile believers. And these were folks who had no contact with Judaism. They were uh, quite apart from it. Their background was worshiping pagan idols and false gods and doing all kinds of nutty stuff to keep the gods happy so they wouldn't make you sick or, or the crops fail and, and, and that kind of thing. And so these two groups of people, they're coming together in the church and Paul wants to let them see it's all one church. It, we're, we're all coming together on only one basis and there is only one gospel. And if you want it in prepositions, it's this, by grace, through faith, for works. Now, there's some people who feel as though that salvation can actually be done in different ways. You know, there's some folks who think, well, you can be saved on the group plan, the family plan. That is, you know, if you're part of the right group, then you're going to be saved. And so if you join the right church, Baptist, and, um, uh, not, and that, that's actually not true. It, it actually might be a hindrance. But anyway, but, uh, and, you know, the idea is if, if, if I'm a part of a group that that is Christian and you know maybe my my cultural heritage goes back to Christianized Europe or something like that and um, that so I'm, I'm sort of in on the group plan this is what the Jewish Christians would have thought 
They would have thought, well, I'm a, I'm a child of Abraham. I've been a part of this Jewish tradition, and, and it goes back thousands of years, and we had all the benefits of the law, the Torah, and, and things like that. And so just because I'm Jewish, I must be acceptable to God. End of report. That settles it. And so they thought they were saved by the group plan. A lot of us think that, or at least we want to think that, that you know, I'm, I'm a part of the right group, and therefore I'm, I'm in with God. And Paul writes to say, well, in point of fact, it's not your, your, um, your background, it's not the family, it's not uh, uh, your culture. It, it, the only thing that matters is grace through faith leading to a life lived for the glory of God. You know, there's some people uh, who uh, think that the, you can be saved by the Boy Scout plan. It's either Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, depending, but it's, it's the Scout plan of salvation. And it's basically this. Uh, you just need to earn enough merit badges. You know? If you earn enough merit badges, you, you, you earn the good person merit badge. You earn the uh, sympathetic person merit badge. You earn the generous with your money merit badge. Well, no, we'll skip that marriage badge. Uh, you, you, know, you, you learn the, the good works merit badge. If you just get enough good works, enough merit badges on your sash, then when you show up in heaven, God will be impressed and it will make you an eagle angel or something. Um, <laughs> Uh, when, when you get there. Um, and, and the idea is it, it, we can just accumulate points that make us acceptable to God. Now, the great thing about this system, by the way, is that you can always find somebody that you're doing better than, for the most part. You know, no matter how many merit badges you are, you have more than at least somebody. Now, somewhere, you know, in Calcutta or something, there's, there's, a, there's a poor guy, and he, he's the lowest guy on the totem pole when it comes, well, actually the highest guy, but that's another cultural illusion. He's the lowest guy in the rankings, okay? He's, you know, he doesn't have any merit badges at all. He's the only guy who can't say, at least I'm better than somebody else. But there's only one of those. The rest of us can go around saying, well, at least I'm better than most people. You know, I'm better than a lot of people. And, you know, and, and because we're church folks, we've got a lot of merit badges that we can show God in. And uh, there, there are a lot of Jews who thought that that's how you would be saved, with merit badges. You keep the law. Uh, you obey the rules. Uh, you go to synagogue. You do the fasting. You follow the schedule of prayers. God will accept me. I've got my merit badges. I deserve salvation. But the thing is, a lot of the Gentiles would have thought the same thing. You know, they were coming out of a terribly pagan culture uh, that accepted immorality as though it were a virtue. Um, that uh, allowed all kinds of things that, you know, coming to Christ, you realize, oh, no, these, these aren't, aren't um, uh, um, you know, viable things to do in, in front of God. And so even coming out of a Gentile culture, they could be very proud of the fact that they'd given up a bunch of pagan things, and now they were in the church. They had their merit badges. Now, the problem with merit badges is you might have more than everybody else, but do you have enough? You might have more merit badges than your neighbor, but is that enough to get into God's eternal glory in heaven? That, you know, you, you, you're just going to always struggle with that. Well, the, uh, the third way I think that uh, people think that you can get into heaven um, is that you can use the Viking cruise plan. I got bigger laughs at 8.30. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the Viking cruise plan... Uh, I don't do cruises, by the way, uh, not, not that I'm opposed to them or anything. I just never quite understood why you would pay money for somebody to make you a prisoner in a floating mall where all you could do was spend money to them. Uh, you know, if, if you think about it, you know, the people who organize these things are like really sharp. 
but, uh, but the idea of the Viking cruise plan is, well, they've supplied everything. You know, the, the food is there, the entertainment is there, the activities are there. Uh, I don't have to worry about a thing. I'll just walk on board and relax. And a lot of folks think, well, that, that's the way it is. We just go up before God and say, here, God, entertain me. And we just relax and do whatever we want because, after all, that's the point of a cruise ship. And the problem with that is that God is not about our entertainment. In fact, I'll tell you something. God is not about uh, anything other than his glory and what praises and honors him. So Paul in his church there in Ephesus, he's going to have a lot of folks who have um, uh, different angles on what it means to be saved and, and what the impact of the gospel is going to be on their lives. And in order to get that straight, you remember when we started in chapter 1, he talked about, you know, praise be to God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who have chosen us and redeemed us and filled us and guaranteed us and sealed us. You know, praise to the fullness of God as he has done everything to save and to redeem us. And then Paul says, and I thank God that what he has done is he's not only raised up Christ and seated Christ at his right hand, but he has made us alive together with Christ and seated us at, at the Father's right hand in Christ. You know, these wonderful, marvelous things that God has done uh, in the Son for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul has been talking about all those things and uh, even down into what we were talking about last week with the amazing grace of God and how it comes to us out of the richness of his mercy and the depths of his love. Grace is given to us. And so Paul sort of brings that all together here in verses 8 through 10. And he says, so keep it in your minds. We are saved by grace, through faith, for works, for those good works. See, one of the things that will happen as we're reading the passage is that uh, uh, Paul will say, well, uh, you know, we are saved by grace through faith, and our immediate point is, that's right, I got the faith. God's got the grace, I got the faith, me and God together, simpatico man, we, you know, we are going to get this done together. And Paul says, all contraire, he says it in Greek, but he says, all contraire, you know, in point of fact, even this salvation by grace through faith, even this is the gift of God. It's all God's doing. It's what God has accomplished in us. It's not of our works. You can't turn faith into a work. You can't make your belief into something that you did that God, God says, wow, I'm glad you did that. Otherwise, I couldn't have saved you. He says it's not of your works at all. So you cannot boast. But here's the deal. You are God's workmanship. Notice who's working. Not us. God is working. We are his workmanship. That word for workmanship, by the way, is uh, uh, related to the word poem. as uh, poema in, in the Greek. Uh, it literally means something that is made, something that is done. This is, this is what God does. I like the idea, we are God's poem. You know, some of you are rap, some of you are blank verse, some of you are Shakespeare. I get that. But we are God's poem. We are God's workmanship. It's what he is doing in us because we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. But who prepared the works? Who decided what they were? Who made them possible? God prepared them for us beforehand. You see, it's still God doing all the work, and God ordained that we should walk in them. And the result of that, by the way, if you remember from Romans, is that we are conformed to the image of God's dear Son. That's, that's the meaning of the work that God is doing and the workmanship that he is doing. So we are saved by grace, through faith, 
for works that conform us to the image of Christ and bring glory and honor to the Father. That's what Paul's setting up so later on he can talk about the church and we'll get that to that um, next week. All right? Do I need to cover that again? <laughs> no, you pretty much got it. Okay. All right. Uh, let's start reading in verse 8. This is uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for the gift of grace. I thank you for the grace that saved us and uh, put us on the journey with Christ. I thank you for the grace that reached down to us in the depth of our need and translated us out of darkness into the kingdom of light. Father, I pray that this morning anyone who does not know that saving grace would just be touched by your Holy Spirit and come to a realization of a need for the Savior and cry out, unto Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for grace that you give us to sustain us along the journey, that you do not leave us to our own strength or wisdom, our own devices, but your grace sustains us each step along the way. I pray you'd give us the courage of faith to trust your Holy Spirit to work in us and to work through us, that you would bring us to those places where you would have us be. And Father, I thank you for grace that takes us home, grace that welcomes us into the courts of heaven, Grace, Father, that brings us before your throne clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that we might worship and praise you all because of your grace toward us in Christ. And we pray in his name. In the uh, brief 40 minutes that we have left. Okay, folks, look, I got a watch. Uh, and I, I remind you I'm not afraid of you. I'm afraid of the nursery workers. And so... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I got an idea. We'll, we'll get you out on time here. So, so don't panic. Just relax and, and, and listen to what, uh, what's going on here. Uh, this, this verse, uh, these three verses are, are, are somewhat personal to me, uh, as they are for many of us. Uh, but they're personal to me because I grew up in church. Uh, Dad was a Navy chaplain when I was born. He became a pastor later on. Uh, every Sunday I was in church. Church was a part of my life. I did church all the time. When I went off to college, my first Sunday away from home, I was scared to death to sleep in. I knew I had to go to church. It wasn't God. It was my mother. I was sure she would kill me if she found out I hadn't gone to church. So uh, church was very much a part of me, and, and it, was, it was ingrained into my thinking and, and, and how I approached life. And one of the things that happens is as a church kid, you grow up and you get the ask Jesus into my heart thing, get baptized thing, be a good kid thing, don't do all the things that the youth group pastor keeps telling you not to do. You know, that, that kind of thing. I got that, and I even knew about grace. There's something called grace, and that's how God saves us. But I also knew that I was supposed to do stuff because the preacher in the pulpit, not my dad, he was away at sea as a chaplain, but the preacher in the pulpit kept talking about stuff we have to do, stuff we're supposed to do. And one of the things that happens a lot of times when you're a church kid growing up in church is you accumulate a really good sense of guilt that I can't do it. And somehow I must be failing God. You know? I, I, I can't measure up. 
I'm not doing enough. And even when it comes to faith, I don't know if I believe enough. I don't know if I believe strongly enough or hard enough. So you develop a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, guilt feelings and anxiety feelings. You're not sure exactly what's going on in this gospel thing in your own life. And the reason for that is, as a church kid, I knew the three words we're talking about here. I knew about grace and faith and, and uh, uh, works. The problem was I had the prepositions all jumbled up. And I had the wrong prepositions with the wrong word. And I needed to get my prepositions straight. So that's my goal for the few minutes we have together this morning, is that you would learn the right prepositions uh, for the gospel narrative. Paul says we are saved by grace. And uh, what a great time I, I had, at least last week, just thinking about and talking about the marvelous nature of God's grace that is able to turn around such a wretch, a wretch like me, uh, in those kinds of things. But, you know, we, we get the, the prepositions wrong. A lot of times what we do is instead of having by grace, we have by works, right? We think that's what God is interested. He's interested in, in the stuff we do that's good stuff, stuff for him. We are saved by works. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. That is the default position of the human heart and mind, Look at every religion, human religion, and you'll find that it is by works. You have to say a certain number of prayers. You have to bow in a certain direction. You have to spin a certain wheel. You have to light the incense. You have to ring the bells. You have to observe the seasons. You have to observe the calendar and the rituals. And, and on and on it goes. There's a bunch of stuff you have to do because, after all, that's why God would save you. If you do enough good stuff, God will save you. And that's the default human position. You know, even uh, the Jews, when you read the Old Testament, what did God give us? Ten pats on the back? No, he gave us ten commandments. This is stuff he wants us to do or not do, as the case may be. These are things that should be a part of our, our activity, the performance in our lives. These are ten commandments. God is interested in what we're doing. And it, it is so easy to get the idea that, well, that's all that God is interested in. It's keeping the law and keeping the commandments. And so when Jesus came along and he said, you know, if you're reading the Ten Commandments, you really want to understand them, understand this. The commandments aren't there to make you acceptable to God. The commandments are there to show that you will never be acceptable to God until he gets a hold of your life by grace. I'm summarizing the Sermon on the Mount. Now, how many people came up to Jesus and they would say things like, what must I do to be saved? You know, what is it I have to do? do. I mean, there was one guy, you remember, he came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, well, now that you brought the subject up, uh, let's mention the commandments. You know, maybe you should start with doing those. You know, don't commit adultery, don't lie, cheat, steal, you know, all, all, those, all those kinds of things. Oh, by the way, love God with all your heart and mind and, and, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, those are the commandments. There is a to-do list in the scriptures. If you're asking, what must I do to be saved? There's the list. There's God's list, his, his honey-do list for people. And the guy said, I'm glad to hear that, Jesus. That's, that's really good to hear because I have done these things from my youth up. From the moment I was bar mitzvahed, I have, I have kept these commandments. I have done these things. I have done it all. And Jesus said to him, he said, that's, that's great to hear, but there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything you've got 
give it to the poor, then come follow me. Now, it sounds like Jesus was saying, I'm going to keep adding to the list of, of, of things you've got to do. It's, it's like he was saying, you want stuff to do? Well, here's stuff to do. Get rid of all your money. Be a very generous person. Come follow me. I don't think that's it. What Jesus was saying was, look, in your quest to do what God asked you to do, you've forgotten to be the person God designed you to be. And there's some, something that's weighing you down. You know, it's going to drown you. You're, you're hanging on to your money and, and on to your wealth. You know? Sort of like a guy trying to swim while he's hanging on to a boat anchor. It's possible, but it's very hard, and you can't do it. And so he said, you, you've got to get rid of this money. You've got to just let it go. But the other thing about the money was it was his source of security. It was his source of sense of well-being. My life is okay. Why? Because I got plenty of money to cover whatever comes my way. Jesus said, get rid of that and quit trusting that. And by the way, come follow me and trust me. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, what you need, the one thing you lack is faith. One thing you lack is coming to the Father through the Son by faith. You need to follow me. I remember hearing that story as a kid so often. It said, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And I knew that it could be explained away because every time the preacher preached on it, he explained it away. You know, never once did the church rise up and get rid of all its money. By the way, I haven't gotten rid of mine. But it bothered me because if that was just something on the to-do list, I hadn't done it. I'm just going to cut, to, cut ahead, folks. The day I realized it was my sophomore year in college, the day I realized I don't have to do this, God does it in me. I don't have to summon up the skill and the courage and the, and the strength and the wherewithal to do these things. The Holy Spirit does that in me. It set me free. It was like, it was, you know, it wasn't the salvation experience. That was back when I was almost nine. But it, it was almost like that. It was one of those major, major moments where you realize, yeah, this is how it works. God's grace working in me. And all I do is let God just be God and, and Lord and sovereign in my life and let him work by his grace. And so we get, get this backwards. We get the by preposition in front of the works preposition, and we think that's what God is interested. And that's why we go around and we feel inadequate and we feel defeated and we feel guilty all the time. We need to understand we are saved by grace we are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. And grace brings us home. It is grace start to finish. But then there's some people who take that word faith and they put the word by. We are saved by faith. These are the people who say things like, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe. As long as you're sincere, you're saved by faith. That's all you've got to do. Folks, you can be as sincere as you want and you'll be sincerely wrong. Um, I, I've, I've been led by people who were sincerely wrong. I asked for directions at a hospital once. This lady was convinced she knew how to get me where I needed to be. We wound up lost together. But she was sincere. It matters. Because faith isn't just a, a matter of our sincerity. We're not saved by our faith. We're saved by the grace of God. And he connects us to that grace through the mechanism of faith, through the mechanism of trusting Christ. Now, we get confused about this sometimes. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus say to one woman, your faith has saved you? The answer is yes, he did in Luke chapter 7. Uh, but if you look back at that story and get a running start into it, you'll realize what, what Jesus was talking about. This is the time that Jesus went to the home of a man named Simon. 
It wasn't Simon Peter. It was a different Simon. It, it was Simon with his brothers, Alvin and Theodore. And so <laughs> he was. You know, I could have cut that out for the sake of time, but I thought it was too good. But anyway, but he's at the home of Simon the Pharisee is actually who it is. And um, as, as they're there at, at having dinner together, this woman walks in, crashes the party, and she starts washing the feet of Jesus. And Simon's thinking to himself, well, you know, if this guy was really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman that is. This is a woman of, shall we say, easy virtue. And he wouldn't allow that if he really knew who she was. And Jesus, in that little uh, uncanny way he has, said, Simon, I got a question to ask you. He said, there, there was a guy, and he had two debtors. One guy owed him $500. The other guy owed him $50. And he just wrote off the debt. He forgave the debt of both men. Which one's going to love him more? Simon said, I suppose one to whom he showed more mercy one whose debt was large and was forgiven. Jesus said, you know, Simon, you, you've nailed it. That, that's exactly what I'm getting at here. This woman, I'm shortening the story, but he said, this woman loved me more than you did. This woman loved me more than you, and I can tell you why. Her sins were astronomical. She had sins coming out of the wazoo, whatever a wazoo is. But whatever it is, she had sins coming out of it. And she knows she's been forgiven. And so she loves me. And that's why she's doing what she's doing. By the way, do you see the relationship of grace and works? The forgiveness comes first. Remember the parable. The, the way Jesus told the parable was she was forgiven. These guys were forgiven first. Then they loved the master. It was the forgiving grace of the master that moved their hearts to love him in return. It was the master's doing that, that did all this. And so Jesus is saying about this woman, she is forgiven. She's been forgiven. And, and knowing this, she's loving me. She's expressing her faith in me because of the forgiveness. And that's why she, he turns to the woman. First of all, he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And then later on, he says to her, in that context, in which your sins are forgiven, and now you've been linked up to that grace by the mercy of God through faith. Now what I can tell you is this faith, this faith in the context of God's grace, that's the kind of faith, that's the faith. Your faith has saved you in that regard. See, when you come to understand that faith isn't believing stuff real hard, faith is trusting Jesus Christ by the grace of God. Then you start to get it. Then you start to understand it. And then the guilt feelings and the, and the um, sort of the, all the stuff that, that defeats you, makes you feel like you're not worthwhile, God's grace just takes care of that. And that results not in, wow, I'm on the cruise ship, I can relax. It results in, wow, I get to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. I mean, uh, just very quickly, I just, just mentioned to you, he says we are, we are God's workmanship. We are what God does to walk in good works. We are, we are saved for good works. And what is that good work? It's something God prepared beforehand for us. You remember when we were in Romans, what did God preordain for us? He predestined us to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. Those are the works that God has created for us, that we would look more and more like Jesus. Folks, that's why the most practical thing you can do with your life is what? Live for the glory of God because that is fulfilling grace and faith 
four works. And so that's the order of it. I, you know, maybe we'll, we'll spend more time on this at some other date. But, but for this morning, I just wanted you to see those prepositions. It is by grace, through faith. And this whole thing is the gift of God. It's not us. We can't boast. We can't, we can't say, I did part of it. We cannot boast. Now, God has something for us to do, but it's so that he would be glorified in the Son. And so when he saves us by grace, through faith, he saves us for the work of living like Jesus, to exalt him and glorify him. And so what I'd say to you this morning is, you know, if, if you're doing one of those Christian things where you're just filled with self-doubt about, about the works, I'm not doing enough, or the faith, I don't know if I believe enough, or hard enough, or strong enough. By the way, it doesn't say, by grace are you saved through superior faith. By grace are you saved through great faith. By grace you are saved through faith that has no doubt. It says, by grace you are saved through faith. There's a little asterisk there. Well, there, there is, theologically. See the comments of Jesus on faith the size of a mustard seed. And then you'll start to understand. A lot more could be said about this. But I want you to understand. If you understand it, it, it's grace, by grace, through faith. That's how we are saved. And that results in the work of living for Jesus. And so that's what I want to invite you to do. If you don't know that saving grace, if, if you haven't come to that point where Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, that you would just let the Holy Spirit work in your heart and bring that conviction of sin and change your mind and your will so that, that you just reach out and you just love him like crazy and embrace the Savior, ask him into your heart, forgive you of your sins. But if you're walking as a Christian and, and you've reached that frustration and you just wondered, you know, how am I going to manage this? Understand, it's still grace. It's still by grace. It's still through faith because God has something for us to do for the glory, for his glory. And if you'll do that, do that this week, you'll get your prepositions right. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you so much for being the God from start to finish, the God of grace from start to finish, the God who works in us through faith from start to finish, the God who completes the work from start to finish of saving us. And so I ask that we would be open, receptive, that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us, that we would be radically molded into the image of your dear Son that you would teach us day by day and moment by moment how to walk through faith in the grace that you've given to us. I thank you for it all in Jesus' name.